fellas, I got some good news. Um, there are more episodes stacked. There are th- now there are three more episodes stacked than there are episodes where Joe Rogan says the N word on the Joe Rogan <laughs> show. Hey. Isn't that crazy? Round of applause, gentlemen. I, I mean, that's just that's nuts. Yeah. We, we we're beating him by we have zero episodes where any of us say the N word. Until now. Until now. <laughs> Play the Joe Rogan theme. <laughs> That's the jackass theme. That's not Joe Rogan. <laughs> no, but he is. You see my joke. He is a jackass. So. <laughs> oh, can I can I get a, a, a audio effect of a bunch of children laughing to that joke? Can I get a but dumb tss? Yeah, I'll get. I'll throw one of those too. <laughs> All right, welcome back to Stacked Episode Seventy Three. <laughs> yeah, that's a good. That's a good opening. Not gonna lie. Sure. I'm um, that. Yeah, welcome back to Stacked Episode Three. Uh, it's gonna be a fun, fun little topic because this week, uh, it might be old news by the time this episode comes out, but it's not even news by the time we record this. Isn't that interesting? Uh, Isn't that interesting? It folks? is. We are recording this on the eve of the Oscar nominations coming out. Um, oh, yeah. Of the 2022 Oscar noms coming out. So we thought we'd have a fun time uh, talking about nominations of Christmas past. Um, <laughs> uh, Brandon, you were, sort of, you were sort of the guy to sort of pitch this topic to us. Do you, wanna, want, do you want to share us your excitement about the Oscar nominations and why, why you had a fun time with this topic? Well, I kind of was like, I've been wanting to do an Oscar episode for a while. We haven't done one yet. We might do another one down the line. I don't know if it'll be this year or be next year, but we've always wanted to do an Oscar episode. And as us being big movie fans, I thought, hey, there are a lot of years where sometimes there's either so many good films to choose that any one of them could win, but it's only, it's criminal, it seems like, to pick one because there might be a film that's like, just as equally as good that just doesn't win best picture and this this is an episode about honoring those that didn't win but were nominated or uh well not or but there is another reason why you can kind of look at these and be like well what what is the reason for this topic it's sometimes a film wins and you're like why like there were so many better options that could have won instead like the most famous example is well I don't necessarily agree with this, but historically, the Citizen Kane loss to How Green Was My Valley is one of the most well-known snubs. Green Acres is the place to be. So, yeah, there's a lot of different cool and interesting ways that we're bringing up films that have been recognized, but we're going to give them even more recognition today. They should have won Best Pictures. Best Picture noms that weren't winners. Exactly. So these are... The best best picture nominees that didn't win, so it's gonna be fun. Chris, what was yes. it like breaking this down for you? Well, because of the nature of the prompt, there was a a pretty finite list that I could work with. Um, yeah. And as someone who doesn't keep up with the history of the Oscars very much, it took me a little bit of time to like. I had to search up like every like best picture nomination I've like that I, nomination that I've seen, um, 
And yeah, so it was a bit challenging, but I eventually narrowed my list down to like three movies that I I generally do think deserve to win, or at least I could argue, I feel I could argue that they are at least deserving of a win, but I mean, you know, my that's just my opinion. Um, yeah. Lots of honorable mentions, by the way. There are definitely plenty of movies out there that weren't even nominated that I would argue even deserve to win. But mm-hmm. um, but yeah, there, there was a lot of good stuff and I had to narrow it down and I did. So I'm ready. To, I'm excited to get going. Me too. Yeah, I um. I picked I picked a good good three here good solid three films that I really like that um honestly I there's there's two where I haven't seen the one that of the year that won so I can't really speak to the quality of the one that won over it but I think these films are really well made and I think they should have won regardless I don't know if the other one would have beaten it or not but still I'm just gonna go with it um this was this was hard of trying to like I had like I had like four lists open. I was looking at uh, uh, the the list of all the nominees. I was looking at uh, the list of all the best picture winners, so I can compare which nom like which one won to the nominees. I was looking at our final stack, so I didn't repeat any, you know. And then I was looking at um, like all the best picture winners that I've seen ranked, just so like in case like I did like one more than the other. I was it was lots of lots of screens, lots of looking, lots of make taking notes of everything. So I'm excited to share my picks and I'm excited to hear yours. So um before we get do we get started with that, let's run down the rules of how this show works. Once a week we set a topic or theme and go our separate ways to construct our own three film stack. Then after a week we come back here on the podcast and share our own stacks one film at a time. Then at the end of the show we will mix and match our nine films to make the ultimate decision on what quintessential three film stack we are checking out of this hypothetical video store. I'm going first. It's me no. this week. No yeah, way. it's me. That's yeah. kind of crazy. Yeah, I know, right? Um, <laughs> I'm going to put, I'm just going to, I'm going to take the the obvious one out of the way. Because Brandon guessed that I was going to choose this one last night. Yeah. <laughs> because I was watching it last night. <laughs> it's uh, Sofia Coppola's 2003 film, Lost in Translation. Um, it was a nominee for the 2004 Oscars. Uh, it lost to Return of the King, which like, which is one where I like, I can't really complain <laughs> yeah. that, that it lost to Return of the King because I think Return of the King is amazing. But I do like this film a bit more than Return of the King. And I just want to talk about this film on Stacked because I love it so much. It's one of my favorite films of all time. Uh, Lost in Translation is a picture of an emotion that I've never really seen captured quite as perfectly as it is in this one. Just like the feeling of... Uh, I mean, the title basically... It's, it's one of those perfectly titled films, I think, where it's like Lost in Translation where... Uh, not only does this film, so this film follows an actor who's, uh, shooting whiskey commercials in Japan and then the wife of a photographer who's like having second doubts about their young marriage and like who she really wants to be. And she feels trapped in her own life and she wants to get away from things. So, and then Bill Murray's character, Bob, the actor, he's feeling lost in his own life, having a midlife crisis, not knowing what he wants to really do for the rest of his life. So both of these two characters are having this sort of melancholic feeling of feeling lost in 
uh, a city that also is foreign to them. And just the, it has that signature, like Japanese melancholy that I feel like is just only captured in those kinds of, in those films. Um, it's so, it's just so, it's so spaced. It's, it's such a peaceful film about just like learning to, uh, focus on like yourself, your relationships, being alive. Um, and learning these things in this beautiful city. It's one of those cities, it's one of those films where the city is like the main character of the film, you know? And you just can't help but take in everything that this film gives you in the frame. Um, it's a beautiful film. It's a beautiful sounding film. Um, fun fact about me, uh, the soundtrack to this film, I didn't, I know like every song in this film, in its score, like like the back of my hand because my father played this soundtrack like nonstop when I was a kid. Um, so I know every single song. I didn't even know it was from this movie. And then years later, like 10 years later, I finally watched the film. And like, it was like, it made it all the more nostalgic for me as it was capturing like this melancholic nostalgia in the film made it all the more nostalgic for me by how I knew every single one of these songs that like, that raised me when I was a kid, you know, it's crazy. But, um, it's such a special film, and I'm so glad it was nominated for an Oscar. I had no idea that it was. Um, I, ju I just thought it would be one of those indie films that just, like, was sort of under the radar. I feel like we get a lot more of those these days, but it's super cool to see that a film like this was nominated for an Oscar. Um, and I just ha I had to I had to bring it up on the episode. So, yeah, Lost in Translation. Uh, I know, Brandon, you've seen the film because you, you went to go mark off every single one of my films in my top 100 at one point and so you went yeah. through this one so what do you think it's good like i think there's a lot that's really interesting about the film it's a very quiet film which is unusual for a lot of films especially of late to like get nominated for best picture like yeah. often like if you look at best picture films like the academy really likes either really loud and bombastic like films like war films are very common musicals you yeah. know, or really like gritty or well acted dramas, you know, those are like the most common things to see. Not you don't often see like a modern take on romance and longing and stuff. And I and I like the film, but I don't think I have the same nostalgic attachment that you have to it, given that you like connect with the soundtrack as well as the story. But I think it is a very mature and compelling feature, nonetheless. Yeah. About these like two like lost souls kind of meeting each other. And it's not exactly like a friendship but it's not exactly a romance either and that's yeah, kind of and that's, that's that's what i love that's about really this. cool yeah, yeah it's, it's cool. such a special and unique relationship which um damn what was it there we we compared the relationship of this film to another one i keep i keep forgetting we talked about this but like i just i love it when films create this whole new like uh, love story that's like it's not platonic and it's not romantic you know mm -hmm. it's like respecting or it's like respectful love of like of like a soul and like your place in the world i don't know it's so crazy it's like it's hard to it's hard to define but like i it's way more up your alley than it is mine that's all i'm gonna say definitely because i have issues with the the pacing, and I, I'm not a big fan of the script personally, but as far as the story goes, I like. I like the story. And I like the characters, too. Yeah, good characters. Chris, 
I feel like I feel like you'd be a fan of this film. Um, That's the thing. I've heard that I've I've heard so much about this movie. Um, I think the big thing that would make me a big fan of this movie is mm. tone, the tone of tone. this movie, mm-hmm. and like because like this kind of like that kind of melancholy romance, but like romantic. You know what I mean? Like that kind yeah. of yearning, I guess, if yeah. you will, is like it. That's a that's a tonal thing that I think for whatever reason just hits me personally really hard. Yeah. Um, so I can only imagine that this movie would hit me really hard. I think it's it's pretty high up on like the a movie that like I haven't seen but I know I'll probably really like. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I I mean I I've I'm sold on it. I I just never got around to seeing it. But I, I'm glad you brought it up. I think it's a special skill to sh- like to f- like to photograph a city when you're a cinematographer. You know, yeah. you know what I'm talking about, Chris? Like when you're, when you're kinetic energy, uh, yeah, the kinetic energy of a city and like what that city is all about. I feel like very few like directors and cinematographers yeah. that capture that. I think some of the people who have done the best. I would say are um, who did you know, Wong Kar Wai with Hong Kong, obviously. You know, mm-hmm. or um, the dude. Did you, Chris? Last did you Black watch Man in San Francisco? Last like, Black Man in San Francisco. That's, that's one. Um, What's what's that? Oh my god! I love this film. I you and I have both seen it, Chris. Where it's the art critic in Rome. Oh, it's, oh, it's the Italian. It's the Italian movie that Brandon. I own. I own it. Why am I forgetting it? Um, great beauty. The great. The great beauty. Great, great beauty. How, do, yeah. how great did beauty. I get that? And because you're the only one who hasn't seen it. Yeah. The great <laughs> beauty. Thank you, Brandon. Um, yes. Yeah. That, the, that, how that Rome I, is I, shot I, in the Great Beauty. Um. Just Hong Kong and any Wong Kar Wai film, Last Black Man in San Francisco, um, you know, any Scorsese film in New York, I would say, you know, I'm, yeah. th- I'm, I'm thinking like Mean Streets. Um, Taxi Driver. And then I th- I'd say Sofia Coppola in Lost in Translation with Tokyo. Um, it's amazing. It just, it perfectly captures like the settings, like the feelings you get when you're looking over a sky. Like there's so many shots of just looking over the, like the cityscape. Yeah. And it's just, you see the lights at night, those, like, those iconic just red lights that are on top of every, like, building in Tokyo. It's just, like, yeah. it's Ethan, so beautiful. You like to feel like an ant, which is, like, really understandable why your favorite hero is Ant-Man. <laughs> Don't <laughs> bring this shit up again. <laughs> this is why I love the sublime. You're right. <laughs> I like getting stepped on and seeing the mess. I like being, I like being stepped on. <laughs> Okay, but yeah, that's my first pick, Lost in Translation. Uh, Brandon, let's go to you with your first Oscar nom. Well, I've seen every Best Picture winner, so there's a lot to choose from. I actually picked out like 25 years where I was like, I could have been a better winner, or like this is a film that could have won that uh, we need to like pay more attention to. I'm going to start out with uh, 2011. I'm not going to award Woody Allen the best picture, even though I love Midnight in Paris. I'm going to award best picture to Moneyball, a 2011 baseball oh. film. Moneyball, play ball. Yeah. I've never seen Moneyball. Tell me about it. Uh, a, lot of, a lot of people would call this one of the best baseball movies, best sports movies ever made, because it's not necessarily focused as much on the sport. It is focused on more of the business side of sports. Not saying mm-hmm. that it's not like prevalent within the film, but it's all about the like redevelopment of sports marketing and sports like like w- recruitment because 
often like people base somebody's success and value off one or two things, whether or not they can hit home runs uh, or whether or not they can strike out batters when they're playing, especially in baseball. And when you have a team that's like a lower tier or mid-market team, they're not going to be able to compete with teams like the Yankees or the Dodgers who are able to shell out like 200 million plus payroll to their like to the biggest stars around like five tool players so teams like the oakland athletics um had to like think creatively and their new or not their new gm but their gm at the time billy bean had to like sort of figure out ways to scientifically make it so that their team would be better and be able to compete for playoff spots and it and it's a true story and it's very analytical, but also extremely well edited. And for somebody who's a casual fan of baseball, I wouldn't imagine like, or for somebody who may be a casual fan of baseball, I yeah. think they might find a lot of enjoyment in this film because of how it like develops the sport and develops like the scientific mindset in front of your eyes. It's kind of exhilarating to see a team that is destined, it seems, to fail go from being bottom tier to low tier or to the the upper tier of baseball teams or sports teams in the league and it's fascinating um another reason i think it's way better than the artists that came out that year i think a lot of the films that were nominated in 2011 were better than the artist and really? it's yeah i it's kind of yeah i i like the artist but i feel like it's kind of a shame that like something like this which is a very impactful sport movie like i'd like call it one of the best sports movies ever made what didn't even get like the i think the attention it rightly deserved you know jonah hill and brad pitt give some of their best performances in this movie because even beyond the baseball there's great family drama between brad pitt and his like like he's separated from his family he feels separated from his team almost so he like kind of is like rekindling both of those relationships simultaneously and it's really it's really good is it better than little big league though oh yeah then why wasn't on your stack for best sports movies? No, I'm just kidding. Because uh, that's this is more sports management, like less. And I yeah. also met. I think I mentioned it in the episode. I just, I think the there are films that like I could have brought up in sports movies that are better, but I was never going to use those movies again, most likely. So <laughs> yeah, um, this this sounds really interesting to me. I think you're right. I think I find the management and like the sort of behind the scenes of sports a lot more interesting than the sports themselves because you've seen once you've seen one movie about the sport themselves or like once you've seen like 10 of them you've kind of seen them all you know yeah so it's really what matters is what's going behind the scenes that's why i love king richard so much uh it's a lot like king richard yeah yeah okay well that 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 really that that really tickles my fancy. That's and I'm not just saying that because I know you like the movie. Yeah, no, no, no. I, I no, but from what you said, I think I was like before you even said that I was like this sounds a lot like King Richard. So, uh, I mean, Brad Pitt's good. I mean, this is what really put Jonah Hill on the map as a dramatic actor, right? He's really good in this movie too. Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, I gotta check this out, Chris. What have you heard from Moneyball? good performances and largely pretty much what brandon said like just the fact that like this movie is like yes it's a baseball movie but it's not really that much about like the team like i'm sorry like in the sense of the sport itself it's more about like the intricacies that go into like how sport is handled as like a business and all that kind of stuff 
And I mean, like, I, I don't know if there's if this is like a corporate espionage kind of movie or just like a, a movie about like the drama that goes on behind the scenes of, you know, what we see in the games. But yeah, I mean, it both. sounds really interesting and I think it'll be good. Um, I've It's on Netflix, right? I think. Well, if you if it's if it's on Netflix, then go ahead and watch it. <laughs> but if not, I can let you borrow it. I have it on DVD. But yeah, I think um, I'll watch it on Netflix. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I'm sold. Like it. Yeah, yeah, I'm I'm sold too, and I like it. All right, Chris, what's your first nomination? All right, um, I'm gonna start with I'm gonna do mine in release order. So I'm gonna start with um, a 1967 movie. Ooh. <gasps> Um, this movie lost to In the Heat of the Night. Good movie. Um, I'm choosing Bonnie it's a good and Clyde. Year. Yeah, it's a good year for Best Picture. Oh, yeah, it was a, you could I like go no wrong with those. Like, yeah, 1967 was pretty good. I was surprised. I didn't know Doctor Doolittle is a Best Picture nom. Doctor Doolittle. Yeah, Urkel, not the Eddie Murphy Urkel's one. <laughs> uh, okay. Anyway, so yes, um, Bonnie and Clyde. Um. Yeah, we watched this movie in was it our film history class or aesthetics? One of those two. I probably yeah, from history. I think it was aesthetics. It was aesthetics. It was aesthetics. aesthetics. Yeah. I know it was aesthetics. Um, yeah, so we watched this in our film uh, film aesthetics class in our freshman year of college, and I revisited it revisited it in 2019, and it really held it really held up. I really do like this movie. Um, just some historical context for this movie is that. Um, we all know this, but I'm just going to say this for the audience. Like, this movie was one of the first to really run with it after the collapse of the Hayes Code. Um, for mm. those who don't know, the Hayes Code was this kind of production code adopted by Hollywood um, in like the mid-30s to mid-60s that prohibited any form of like profanity, nudity, graphic, and sexual violence um, to, be to be depicted on screen. Like that stuff was basically out, like outlawed at the time um, and it fell apart eventually. And um, so from my understanding, this movie alongside a selection of other uh, others pioneered and relished in a degree of artistic freedom that wasn't allowed prior. Um, certainly films in the past have found ways to work around these rules, but Bonnie and Clyde really just said, fuck it and hail married it with the, with their movie. It's pretty tame by today's standards, but at the time, it was incredibly, like, violent. Um, anyway, so this movie um, was made during the counterculture era of the 60s, um, depicting these two um, renegade outlaws during the Great Depression. It's based on a true story of the real uh, criminals, Bonnie and Clyde. Um, Warren Beatty and Faye Dunaway are wonderful together. I think their on-screen chemistry is really, really strong. Um, one thing I will immediately say is, yeah, yes, this movie isn't perfectly made. I don't think its editing is very good. Um, I do remember it be feeling kind of slow at times and all that. But what really makes this movie, I think, deserving of its nomination and perhaps even deserving of a win is that um, its depiction of social, social classification, um, it taps into things regarding race, economics, sexuality even, and any form of prejudice within this kind of hierarchical system of power that existed at the time um, is really wonderfully juxtaposed by this free willing nature of the two main characters. Um, 
you know, it really is a very hyperbolic movie. I don't think Arthur Penn or anyone involved in the production of this film would condone anything that Bonnie and Clyde do in this movie. Because, but I don't think that's that's the that's the messaging of this film. I, it's romanticized. It's 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 supposed to show the the newfound freedom and excitement of the 1960s, framed within the story of these two outlaws. Um, right. And yeah, I think I think it's really strong. And like, spoiler alert: at the end of the movie, Bonnie and Clyde get shot to death, and that's the last scene of the movie. And that last scene is really shocking, not only because of how it's how it was shot and how it was edited, but because it's a shockingly haunting reminder that these systems of power that Bonnie and Clyde oppose so directly still exist. You know, I mean, existed in the sixties and still exist today. Um, I don't think this movie is actively trying to make any kind of political statement, um, but it, it still resonates, which I think is what makes this movie so like such an engaging watch because a lot of what you see is this is how it is. And also, yeah, I, this movie's fun. I really enjoy myself when I watch this movie. I think it's like there's something about watching Bonnie and Clyde just kind of live their lives kind of like as free, free willing renegades. That's just kind of exciting to me. And yeah. Yeah. I, like, yeah. what do you guys think about Bonnie and Clyde? Good movie. Yeah. Good, pr- yeah. Pretty good movie. Um, I think you hit the nail on the head, Chris, where the historical significance of this film, like, lends it the best picture like alone you know um yeah i remember we talked about this in film history like this in it's insane what how many rules about making films there were back then about showing violence and stuff like that violence and sexuality and stuff and like the the amount of tricks they had to do to cut away for stuff like that like we'd watch Remember we'd, we used to watch like old gangster clip films and just like the amount of tricks that they'd have to do to hide this sort of stuff, like just having their shadows casted when like someone died or just cutting yeah. right away from it and everything like that. Like it made filmmakers lives so much harder. And when that sort of uh, fell apart, it was insane for a film like this just to come out right out of the gates and show the amount of violence and um and like nudity and stuff like that, you know. Like this movie starts with like Bonnie like just t- hanging out nude. You remember that? Like, and, mm-hmm. and that was just like that, what a statement to start off this film like post production code. I couldn't even imagine what that would like, what that'd be like for audiences back then. They're just like, what the whoa whoa, you know. Um, and yeah, it's I think the chemistry between the main leads are good. Uh, it's iconic duo. Um. I think the pacing is a bit a, a little all over the place for me for my liking. Um yeah. you know some some moments are slower than others. Um but I think it really does come down to its ending, which I think is a pretty iconic ending. Um and a pretty jarring ending for this film. Uh and one oh, we could have used this film. I think we could have used this film last episode, honestly, you know? <laughs> like that that ending sort of steals the whole movie uh like what everyone thinks of it um but regardless of that ending i think the rest of the film is pretty good and does deserve like to be recognized as the best film of that year so brandon what do you think i this is one of the most stacked years for best picture uh (laughs) if you ask a lot no i'm not no pun intended uh uh, (laughs) there are three years for best picture that have been like oh my gosh like every one of these nominees is like 
a classic or like is a well-known movie or deserves to win and that's 1939 1994 and 1967 like often those are the years that are like oh these are the most typical years and though i don't agree with the the fact that bonnie and would be the winner because it's probably my third or fourth favorite of the bunch. Mm-hmm. I still think it's a really good movie, like high quality production all around. It's like you said, it was like a step forward for films, films like they were no longer being censored in America and couldn't be shown to wide audiences. There's a lot to do with like sexuality subtextually, as well as like on the surface with whether it be with Faye Dunaway's character or Warren Beatty's. Yeah. And that carries over to like Warren Beatty's appeal as a celebrity post this movie, which is fairly iconic as he is like a well-known like womanizer, you know, you didn't oh, yeah. know that you didn't no. know that. Oh. No, he slept with like over like uh, he slept with like thousands of people. Like it's really? like, well, it's well cataloged. Yeah. My man. Uh, I right. can send you a list. <laughs> I, but like um, it's I, I, a new I, hero to the list. <laughs> <laughs> like i i would say the graduate and guess who's coming to dinner are i think guess who's coming to dinner should have won personally no but for doolittle honestly i haven't seen doolittle but i've heard good either. things i've seen the uh remake i didn't know eddie murphy remake, was that yeah. old no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> i didn't um, know robert downey Ju- I, damn the robert downey jr movie came out that long ago I do a little. This <laughs> pandemic's been long. Uh, yeah, <laughs> but like, I don't know. It, I, it's a good movie. Uh, I just prefer the other ones. Fair, Fair enough. Really okay. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, let's go to the second round here. Um, my next pick is a 1980 film. Uh, Ooh, now, Brandon, you, you may contest me, but the, so the the winner of nineteen of the 1980 or 1981 Oscars, such as yeah, say, was Ordinary People. Okay. Um, and the film that I'm choosing instead is, I think, a film that that we have not really see, like seen in a very long time. It is like it's so unique in terms of surrealist filmmaking as well as biopic filmmaking. Um, I'm choosing David Lynch's The Elephant Man. Um, oh, this this shocked me that it was nominated for Best Picture. Wait. Yeah, I thought you were gonna pick Raging Bull. I'm not that big of a Raging Bull fan. Hot take. Neither am I. I don't think, it's that, I don't think it's that great. Mm. That's why. Neither am I personally. I think it's bottom tier. But no. everybody always says that should have won that year. No, I'm picking so. the Elephant Man. This movie is it, it is haunting, but not for the reason you think it would be. You think it'd be haunting because, um, sure, this is a movie about. You know, a man with uh, an enormous amount of tumors. I, I, I'm sure you guys have heard the story of the Elephant Man. You know, uh, this this human that was born with an enormous amount of tumors around his body um, that really made him deformed. And uh, this was in the late... I feel like this was in the late 1800s in England, in London. Um, and David Lynch is able to sort of capture life through his eyes as sort of a living nightmare of being treated as a monster and a freak in the society. Um, and the slow, um, journey he takes to regain, uh, love and like 
sort of his own sense of humanity and love for others and trusting in others. Um, and it makes for a really beautiful story mixed with these very, you know, it still has the aesthetics of Eraserhead, you know, and some of that earlier Lynch stuff, but it's still very grounded in a very human story um, that has a lot of tragic moments and a beautiful performance by John Hurt um, and Anthony Hopkins in this movie as well. Um, and it's just, it is just a movie about learning to be a good person no matter what or who is in front of you, you know? Um, and it's just, it is a, it is a very, really beautiful story. And I am, I, I hate to admit that the first time I watched this film was on my iPhone on a road trip <laughs> on this tiny screen in the back of the car. And now I want to own the criterion of this movie and rewatch it on the big screen. Cause I f fell in love with this movie. I think this movie is so good and it should have won best picture because I don't think we've ever seen anything really like it since. Um, so yeah. Has, have any of you guys seen the elephant man? Nope. No, no, but I've heard great things and I own the movie on DVD. You do? Yeah. What? Damn. You gotta watch it. It's so I, good. I, every, you know, you gotta, you know, there are movies that you gotta be in the right mood for. Yeah. And I'm waiting for my time because that movie sounds so fascinating to me, you know? Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's, I, I know you're not really a Lynch fan, Brandon. Uh, that's why, that's why you've been I like trepidatious to, drive. to watch like Twin Peaks. You said you're trepidatious because you don't want to like i don't know dip your toes in that discourse or what did you yeah. what did you tell me exactly i, f I feel like i just don't want to get involved in like that online <laughs> like it was how i felt about the pta fandom for a very long time yeah but like i was like you know what the time has come for me to dip my feet into that and i watched yeah. it and i i watched i watched all of uh pta's films and there are some that I do not like, and there are some that I really do like. It's just gonna, that's gonna happen with every filmmaker. It's just mm -hmm. once the time comes, I'll get into Lynch because I feel like he's one of the last modern filmmakers that I'm really not that well versed in. Yeah. Yeah. He, he, well, he does have very sporadic filmography of mostly, he has a few features, but it's, he has a lot of short films. And then he's got, of course, Twin Peaks, you know, which is what he's probably the most well known for. Um, but I think you should give Elephant Man a shot, like pretty soon, because I think I I think you really love it, and I think you really love it too, Chris. Yeah. <laughs> Yay! Thumbs up. What do you think, Chris? What have you heard from the Elephant Man? Literally nothing. Really? I've only seen a small handful of Lynch's stuff. Like, um, okay, what have I seen? I've seen Eraserhead. I've seen Twin Peaks. Um, I saw his short film with the monkey. Um, <gasps> oh, boy, Jack, dude, that's his best work. That's his best no, Magnum Opus. No, it's, it's that's not. better than the elephant. I wish I could have not picked that for this category. Um, not nominated. <laughs> is this the same movie that I'm thinking about? No, it's not. No, it's not. Sorry. Um, I thought no. Okay. Yeah, I've only seen Twin Peaks. Oh, I've seen Mulholland Drive. Eraserhead. Uh, -huh. uh I have not seen Dune. I'm I'm kind of surprised I did. I didn't. Oh, see you Dune, haven't seen his Dune. It's yeah. not good. But <laughs> yeah, I'm. It's it's just okay. We can. I could have a whole conversation about the, that movie, but let's let's not right now. I want to see his um, Return of the Jedi. Imagine what that would have been. Bad. He was supposed to direct that movie. That would have been interesting. That would have been insane. Who knows? 
I don't want to see that. You don't want to see that? I well, I want to see that with also having the Return of the Jedi that we have now. I just want to. Here's like... here's the reason I don't want to see that. I know what he can do with like the science fiction. Because no, but secret. none of that was his fault. That was all studio in- interference. Okay, you can blame that on the studio. But yes, I can. I'm gonna blame him. <laughs> you can blame whoever you dang darn wants, but I'm gonna blame him. <laughs> <laughs> all right, Mister Blame. Right. Yeah. Fine. Yeah, but that's my second pick, the Elephant Man. Brandon, let's go to your second pick. All right, I'm going to pick a 1980s film as well. I'm working backwards. <gasps> I'm picking 1988. <gasps> uh, the year, the Oscar year was 1989. Rain Man won. <laughs> I'm picking Mississippi <laughs> Burning. Mississippi Burning? Yeah. What is that movie? It's yeah, a movie that was nominated. I've heard of this. It's a Tell Willem Dafoe, Gene Hackman movie. Um, and it's, uh, it's a civil rights film, uh, set during the 1960s where these two FBI agents are investigating the disappearance of like these three civil rights people, uh, workers, you know, and like they're faced with like racial tensions, um, from the Ku Klux Klan and the town and police where, uh, this is from in Mississippi. And, And I think... I wasn't expecting much going into this movie. I just was like, I think I I want to see a young Willem Dafoe de performance, de performance, and I also was very interested to see how race and that subject matter was tackled in a film from the eighties. Because mm-hmm. if you if you fast forward a year later, nineteen eighty nine, Driving Miss Daisy won Best Picture, um, or was it? Yeah, it was 1989. Yeah. And that is known as one of the worst Best Picture winners. I don't think it's a terrible movie, but I don't think it is... I don't think it was worthy of the Best Picture mantle. You know, Dead Poets Society came out that year. But, like, it's such a step backwards from this very intense and gritty portrayal of, like, small-town racism and prejudices. Like, it's like a continuation of 1967's In the Heat of the Night in terms of its thematic structure and, like, what it's doing. Um, and I think you've got some great understated performances from your two leads, and it's a very brutal and tough watch, which is why I figured the Academy didn't go for it and sprung for like a lighthearted drama like Rain Man, which is a good movie, but honestly, I feel like it, it, it's overlooked by, uh, Mississippi Brooding was overlooked by the Academy because of how dark and brooding it was at tackling such an important subject matter. Uh, it's a very good movie. If you guys have a chance, check it out. I don't know if it's online anywhere anymore, but I watched it on Amazon Prime. It's, yeah, so, yeah. I just this I just searched up this movie. Yeah, it sounds really interesting. Yeah, um, I'm. I actually looked up the the director, and he directed a uh, Pink Floyd, The Wall, like the uh, really. Yeah, he directed that, yeah. which I I mean I haven't seen, but I've heard good, generally pretty good things. Um, but yeah, I mean like this. This story, like just the log line for this story sounds really interesting. It's like the mystery is already interesting. There's a lot of like, like I'm sure like a, there's a very deep, deeply rooted um, like racial like a uh, theme here. And I think that's like really interesting. There's yeah. And I think, I mean, I'm sold on this. I just added it to my watch list. It looks interesting. I just, uh, I, 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 sorry. 
It's such oh, a difference wow. too. Francis McDormand's in this. Yeah, very young. And like Michael, it's oh, wow. Michael Rooker's in this. Yeah, it's like very interesting to see like how like well-established actors today are in their early years of work, which is yeah. part of the reason why I watched it. It was like, wow, Willem Dafoe, one of the greatest actors of like our time right now, mm-hmm. who was barely in anything. In <laughs> I don't, I don't remember that, but that's great. But like facing off against somebody like Gene Hackman, and it's like very old school versus new school. Like, how do you handle an approach like this with such a sensitive case? And like, that's like kind of the angle that I find most interesting is like, like they have a young cop and an old cop and how do their ideologies clash with this town and how do they both handle this very, very sensitive case? It's so interesting. Ethan? That, yeah, I'm, I'm hooked. This looks amazing. Um, so like, I understand why Rain Man won. Fun fact, Brandon, do you want to do your famous Rain Man impression for the podcast? No, I'm cutting that. I'm not, I can't do a Rain Man impression. <laughs> it, that's how he sounds in the movie. We're going we're gonna to be can you just one, bleep ep- that? one episode removed on Spotify. Can you, can you just <laughs> yeah, Joe can, Rogan. can you bleep what I said? Yeah, I'm going to bleep okay. what you said. Because it would be funnier that way. Yeah. <laughs> oh, wow. God. Okay. <laughs> oh, Jesus. Uh, damn, Brandon's picking some good rex on this episode yeah, i gotta these say good, these are good rex, brandon. i'm very yeah. passionate he is he brandon's yeah, you, very you passionate are the oscar the you are the oscar guy yeah uh so look forward to tomorrow i mean you've already seen it go back to brandon's tweets about the noms tomorrow i bet he's gonna have a lot to say a lot I of usually coverage. do <laughs> i yeah. usually do yeah i'm looking forward to it uh, yeah i'm looking forward to it too all right chris let's go into your second film all right you guys know i love this movie there's actually a poster of it staring at me right now. Not Parasite. Because <laughs> it was her. Good movie. I oh. love this movie. This movie's grown on me so much. Yeah, so this is one of those movies that when I first saw, saw it, I was kind of lukewarm on. Um, but as the years have gone on and I've revisited this movie, I have absolutely fallen in love with it. I think it sends such a beautiful message about romance and how technology has evolved in the modern era to both connect and isolate us. Um, anyway, let me let me explain what this movie is about. So her, we've talked about this movie before. I think we talked about it in our, I don't remember. We have talked about it before. I do remember Was bringing it, it up. Before. Not let video game movies. <laughs> but um, I'll, I'll, we'll come back come to that. that. So, <laughs> so her is set in the near future telling the story of Theodore Twombly a lonely writer going through a divorce who develops a romantic relationship with an artificially highly intelligent operating system. Yes, I know. It sounds ridiculous. And it is. Um, It is. It is. It is ridiculous. But there's so much more that this movie explores beneath the surface that I think it would be a huge oversight to describe this movie as simply that. Um, There's something about the way this movie handles its story that is so raw and emotional. It feels very real and authentic and and a very genuine look into the heart of a person so overwhelmed by that sense of longing for human connection. And I find that to be a really beautiful thing and something that I very much connect to. Um, This movie has aged incredibly well um, because of how reliant I think we as a modern day humans have become on our technology to connect us online. 
Um, we live so much of our lives nowadays through screens, especially during the pandemic. And it's gone to a point where our reliance on technology is um, to the point that the majority of new relationships nowadays are formed online instead of in person. They begin, you most relationships start by meeting through an app or what have you. Um, and there's been a huge paradigm shift in our world because of it and the rise of our technology. Um, it has affected us so much. And one of the ways that it has um, is, and which is the primary focus of this film is how it has affected our romantic lives. Um, and it's really interesting how this movie explores that because it kind of views it through this lens of how a piece of technology that was meant, that was created with the purest of intention to connect humans does come with its own fair share of challenges too. That feeling of feeling isolated, yearning for connection is one that I think many people in the modern day, especially young people can really relate to. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, I think this is a beautiful movie that helps peel back the curtains on a lot of the emotional challenges that come to our generation as a result of how technology has shaped, our, shaped us. Um, yeah, it's not a perfect movie, but the emotional fallout I find myself in after watching this and really giving myself permission to feel the emotions of it really does speak for itself, at least to me. Um, this movie actually came out in a year where there was a lot of really good uh, Best yeah. Picture noms. Um, yeah. yeah. The winner of this year, okay, this came out in 2013, so what won this year? I think that Probably was 12 Years Life, yeah. Um, so, like, this year had a lot of really great movies. I mean, they've had, I mean, Wolf of Wall Street, I also absolutely love. Um, Nebraska, Gravity, I mean, I'm, I'm not the world's biggest fan of Gravity. Dallas Buyers okay. Club, American Hustle. Good Soul, movie. Captain mm. Phillips. Uh, anyway, but yeah, like, like movies. there may be movies that, like, some you could argue are maybe more important or whatever, or, like, more significant in like culturally or like what's going on in terms of the po politics of the world and whatever. But for my money, this movie really hits me personally. And I think it really does a great job of articulating a feeling that I don't think very many movies have nailed, at least to me. And yeah, I think it's really great. Um, I know you guys all like this movie a lot too. Mm -hmm. um, Ethan, you want to go first? Yeah. I'm, I, I want to do a new, a new, um, new segment on this show, um, where it's called e reading Ethan's reviews from when he was in high school. We did, <laughs> uh, <laughs> we, we did this, we did this segment last episode. I just want to read you this. It's a lot shorter than my sausage party review, but this is what I said <laughs> when I watched this film on December 20th, 2013. Oh boy. <laughs> now. For those of you who don't really like sex scenes and mature stuff like that, this really isn't the movie for you yet. I really enjoyed <laughs> this movie. Yet. Yet. It taught me some very good lessons. <laughs> it's definitely... This is definitely an Oscar-contending movie. The acting was good. The story was great. That's the review. <laughs> nice. I love 14-year-old Ethan's reviews. Yeah. I was still in eighth grade when I watched this movie. That's yeah. crazy. I wasn't even in high school when I watched this. Anyways, um, this movie I saw is this twice. What? I saw this twice in theaters. I haven't seen this since that review. Oh, which is crazy, Ethan. I you but I still I know I need to rewatch it. 
Because I remember thinking this movie was fucking phenomenal. I just... Spike Jones of of jackass fame. <laughs> uh, That's not like crashed. the only thing he's done since other than music videos. I know. Why does this <laughs> dude make more fucking movies? What is he doing? What the fuck is this guy doing? Get back to making movies, you asshole. Uh, he did a really good job with the Beastie Boys doc, though. Anyways, um, this movie is amazing. Uh, it's, you know what? I would compare the emotions to this similar to, similarly to Lost in Translation. I would say I a bit say, more. Yeah. I would say a bit more exuberant. I think. Yeah. I think the. I think the emotions in Lost in Translation are a bit more subtle because it's. I feel like it's a. It's a younger character and an older character than the, what we see with Walking Phoenix Theodore. You know, and the older character he's more suppressing himself, whereas the young character doesn't really know how to express herself yet. Where I feel like Walking Phoenix, he's sort of. He's sort of in the middle, you know, and it's just this is one of his greatest performances, I would say, of the amount of just way he's able to open himself up. He's vulnerable in this. He's movie. such like, a vulnerable on, person in this movie. It's 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 insane how he's able to open himself to Scarlett Johansson's just her voice in this box, you know, um, and <laughs> lots of yearning for Scarlett Johansson, huh? What are you talking about? No. Lost in translation. Her. Stop. Oh, <laughs> Stop. <cry>. Stop. <laughs> Chris. I swear to God. <laughs> um. <laughs> She's my favorite Stop. actress. How can you hear that? <laughs> no. She's one it's of my favorite true. Asian it's actresses, guys. No. I'm joking. She's not Asian. <laughs> look what you get. Look what you. <laughs> okay. okay. It's not Fortune. true. The Lost in Translation started last night, and the opening scene is Scarlett Johansson's ass, and I was like, "Oh, I know why you like this." Stop. <laughs> why do you think he's a big Marvel fan? Come on. <laughs> Black uh, Widow. I'm done talking about this movie. What do you have to say, Brandon? <laughs> I This movie, I don't know if you guys knew, but in 2013, there was a big controversy surrounding the Best Picture winner. Mm. So, uh, 12 Years Slave, I think it's a really good movie. Very brutal. Another, like, great period drama that I don't think gets enough. Even though it won Best Picture, like, I don't think you hear people talk about it since it won Best Picture because there was leaks in the Academy where people were like emailing and texting back and forth. And a lot of people who voted for the film to win Best Picture voted for it and had not seen the movie. Oh, I remember and they, that. And they did it because they thought it would be an important win and because they were getting a lot of flack for their lack of diversity, which they would continue to get until like 2016 when Moonlight won Best Picture. <laughs> which they will continue to get to today, I say. I mean, it's true, but like... Yeah, I think you've seen less the less of the Oscar so white stuff since 2016. True. Um, and True. so it's very fascinating to see the films it was like up against in that same time period didn't really get a fair shake. Not saying 12 Years Slave isn't deserving. It's a very good film. But this was my favorite of the nominees from 2013 by far. I saw it twice in theaters. I love this movie. I think it's a great independent piece. It's funny. It's very romantic and dramatic. It's like all over the place. And Chris, it's like your it's like the melancholy you like in cinema. Yeah. Like it it oh, nails yeah. it. Um 
I, I, I really like her. I think it's a fantastic portrayal of modern relationships. I think it is slightly ahead of its time. But I think it, it kind of tapped into something that was there or starting to show up more in 2013 with like online dating and mm-hmm. not just online dating, but like the idea of connecting with people beyond just a cell phone. So, yes, yeah. very good stuff. Yeah. Very. I think um, Amy Adams very good in this too. By the yes, way, yes, she good. is. Chris Pratt. Yeah. Chris Pratt. Chris Pratt. Before so, he got annoying, <laughs> he's so cool. <laughs> but yeah, before he got annoying. Um, real quick, before we move on, I just want to yeah. shout out um, the whoever the production designer was and the cinematographer for this movie. I think this movie is a visual masterpiece. Mm-hmm. I think just just visually, I think it's beautiful. I just want to sh- shout that out. Anyway, boom. Kind of right. Let's go. We're Very going to final round here. Um, all right, I'm going to start here. I'm going to do the the year after the Elephant Man. Uh, oh, I know what you're going to pick. Yeah, this is the 1982 Oscars. Uh, the winner was Chariots of Fire. Um, you know what should have won? One of the most iconic movies of all time, Raiders of the Lost Ark. That's what should have hey. won. We, I, I'm surprised we we've never talked about this movie on Stacked yet. Yeah, we've actually was, never talked about Raiders. Wow. We, well, we I don't think we've ever talked about Indiana, Indiana Jones. Jones? Yeah. No, we haven't. <laughs> so I was like, let's talk about it now. Um, th- it's amazing that a movie like this could be nominated for Best Picture. It deserves it, rightfully so. Um, it It is quite an amazing movie. Um, I remember watching it for the first time. I, I had to watch it with my mom because um, I was going to my friend's birthday party. And he, uh, he rented out a theater to watch this movie. And mom's like, I got to watch it with you first so you can be prepared for the scary scene at the end. So you're not <laughs> scared and embarrass yourself in front of all your friends. So it's like, I'm going to show it to you before you see it at the birthday party. And it didn't even matter because um, he, cho- he chose a different movie by his birthday party. He watched the, what's that Mark Wahlberg movie about the Philadelphia Eagles? I don't know. He plays Lost a football player. Yeah, that's what it is. No. <laughs> Wait, he, I remember. I, I forgot what the movie's called, but I've seen it. It's like Mark Wahlberg plays for the Philadelphia Eagles or something. Um. Anyways, uh, we watched that instead, so we didn't even watch Raiders. But I watched it with my mom. Uh, I remember it was during our trip to Disneyland. We went to Pismo Beach, Disneyland, Southern California. We were right here in this dangled area, um, and we watched it in our hotel room. And I just being, I just remember being like absolutely taken aback by this journey this adventure it's it's an adventure in the purest forms um it is so excellently paced in its dramatic scenes in its slow scenes and its action-packed scenes what is it called invincible that's right that was the movie i remember it remember mark Wahlberg? he's doing he's trained to be a football player for the philadelphia eagles um but Anyways, back to Raiders of the Lost Ark. Uh, it's just from start to finish, you're always on the edge of your seat, whether it be um, from the delivery to how characters talk to each other, um, how the action is paced, how things are paced. I think this is a, I think this is a tentpole film for blockbuster filmmaking that I think we're still seeing the effects of to this day, and how to pace a blockbuster film, how to pace dialogue in a blockbuster film, in an action <laughs> film. Um, Especially, I feel like, in Disney's action films. Um, 
And I just, I can't get over it. It's got iconic performances from Harrison Ford as Indiana Jones, an iconic character. Um, And it's just, I love this movie so much. And I feel like it it does get talked about enough, but also it doesn't. That makes I think any that's, sense? No, that's, that's fair. That's like, I don't know. Because often when people talk about Indiana Jones, I feel like they talk about it as a whole. They don't talk about one movie. Yeah. Because each of them has such a like distinct represent uh, reputation. Yeah, this isn't my favorite Indiana Jones movie. I think I like Last Crusade more than this one. I'm I'm a Last Crusade fan. I don't like Temple of Doom. I don't like uh, Crystal Skull. <laughs> it's a fifty fifty franchise, which is weird to think of because this franchise is so iconic, and I li- I, like, I love the franchise. So but I like I only like half of the movies. <laughs> well, it weird. won't be 50-50 anymore. That's It'll true. be 60-40 or 40-60. That's <laughs> Fuck, I forgot a new one's coming out. Yeah. What is that coming out this year? Next year. Next year. I'm pretty sure it's either next year or the year after. That's because, crazy. Because like Harrison Ford got injured or somebody got injured. <laughs> of course he got injured. He's like <laughs> he's like 2 billion years old. It was COVID and an injury that pushed that yeah. movie back. I forget. Oh my god. What is that movie going to be? I don't, know. I don't know. James Mangold's doing Mangold? it. Do we trust we'll him? See. Of course. I mean, kind of. He made one good Wolverine Rogan. movie to make another one. I mean, he's made some other good ones. But we'll see. We'll see. Uh, but yeah, Raiders of the Lost Ark. I remember seeing this in the Felino Theater on film. Uh, one of the best theater going experiences I ever had. Seeing this film on film in a big packed theater of movie lovers of film students it was amazing uh, what <laughs> okay maybe not film movie lovers but yeah i i i don't know man but people I feel who like... know who love indiana jones because they were cheering and stuff the whole time so i thought it was great when i watched it you know it's it's just typical for them it it's typical sorry. for them. i hate to be but... insulting i'd hate to be insulting i don't want to sorry <laughs> damn Brand, nothing's Brandon really changed hates, since Brandon, 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 Brandon hates film prod like like he's still a <laughs> that that's that's a thorough line that's been happening since the beginning of stacked like just the 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 shade the thrown jazz. at film prod students yeah. i may have graduated from college but <laughs> <laughs> but the shade can still be thrown anyway hey, if it's Raiders any indication up. lots of the i'm not i'm just saying a lots of new filmmakers i hope they do good you know, but modern <laughs> films—they're kind of bad, though. <laughs> All right. Well, what do you think about this old film, *Raiders of the Lost Ark*? What do you think about it, Brandon? I agree. It's a well-paced action. You don't see many adventure films like this nominated for a Best Picture award. Like you kind of, you kind of wonder what place these have in the Academy nowadays. But like, I feel like the Academy often overlooks films like this, and also adventure films like this are no longer being made. Like you're no, not seeing not. like exactly. yeah. You're not seeing period pieces get made because people don't want to see that. Like the closest thing is Jungle Cruise, and I didn't really like that movie. Oh, I thought fuck that movie. The yeah. mood came yeah. back, bro. And the mood I think came back. It, it feel like whereas indie feels so real and in the moment, like I feel like Jungle Cruise suffers from being a CGI mess that looked like it was shot on a soundstage the whole time. Yeah. And it like it was moving too fast whereas like you said raiders of the lost ark is extremely well paced it's a great action adventure the characters are all wonderful it's globe trotting so you get to see a lot of different aspects of life and that's awesome i i think there's a very good argument to be made that out, out of the five best picture nominees that this should have won uh chariots of fire is a good movie i liked it 
I like sports movies. And Reds, uh, it's a little too long for my tastes and a little too self-indulgent in a lot of ways. Warren Beatty stars and is producer and directs it. It just feels like a Warren Beatty fest. But it's also a good movie. But Raiders of the Lost Ark, very good argument to be made that it should have won. You slept with every person in that movie? Warren Beatty? Probably. <laughs> Chris, what do you think about Raiders? Such the list. Raiders is so much fun. It's a great movie. Just like... Yeah, these kind of old action movies are like they're they're a dying breed now. Like it's very rare that these movies get made. Um, wait, Brandon, uh, we we kind of had something kind of similar. We had nobody in twenty twenty one. Quite mean, it's not like a period movie. piece, but you know, I mean, it's still yeah. like. A, but it's not it's not an adventure. It's an action true, film, true. but it, not yeah, an adventure. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. But yeah, I, I really do like Raiders. I think it's a lot of fun. It's at least for me, my easy favorite of all of the indiana jones movies as much as i love short round um but yeah i i think it's, i think it's great um raiders is a lot of fun i remember seeing it in that yeah, like in our class and it's yeah it's, it's a blast it, it's so much fun and um yeah it's, it's a shame these movies don't get made often anymore because i mean yeah they are very 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 expensive um but it's it's a nice thing to look back on because yeah it's it's a very special movie and the kind of movie that doesn't get made often. So, yeah. That's right. Hell yeah. All right, Brandon, let's go into your last pick. So my last pick, I'm going the year before 1967. I'm picking a 1966 film. I'm going to pick Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf. Again? Who's afraid of her? I still don't know. Yeah. That's it. Just kidding. We never <laughs> chose. We didn't choose this for a final stack, right? I'm just double checking. No, we didn't. Okay. Maybe. Let me check. I don't. Uh, yeah. Brief pause in stacked podcast. Uh. I know. Oh, it's a wolf. W-O-L. We did not. You're good to go. Okay. Okay. Talk about it. So <laughs> this went up against 1966's A Man for All Seasons, which is a law picture. It's good. Uh, our friend friend of the show, Jack Rule. I don't think he's been on yet, but he will be. Yeah. He, yes. he was on nostalgic one of the movies. We did nostalgic movies with him. <laughs> Can you cut that out? That's embarrassing. <laughs> well, he won't <laughs> listen to it. Who's going to tell? <laughs> I'm embarrassed. I'm embarrassed for not... <laughs> <laughs> where a anyway the, the the main actor in this film is like going through a trial of conscience uh and he won't let his betr- principles betray him so he like ends up like going against the law of the state at the time which is henry the eighth and that's a very good law film jack thinks it's a little boring but i i i think it's a very good film but I don't think it's better than Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf, which is a great movie about two couples who get together and go through a couple of disagreements as they are drunkenly partying throughout the night. So not only is there that funny razor edge humor that comes from people being drunk and being able to spout their every thoughts, but there also comes a lot of tension from that between the actors and their words. Like they spar throughout this movie as secrets are revealed about each other and their relationships. 
and like i really love this movie i recently just purchased it on blu-ray and i can't wait to rewatch it because every t- I, every time i think about this movie the more i love it the more i love the way the characters on screen interact and the way the drama unfolds throughout the night it's like it's a movie that feels timeless because it doesn't focus too much on one particular thing it it feels like it's like bouncing around all over the place but is able to like for the most part focus on its characters first rather than like a time period or setting that's why i feel like play movies like this are some of the best out there it's like a lot like 12 angry men actually so yeah well good good movie i said i would watch this film the last time we talked about it and i still haven't but i remember we talked about it in our thesis class about um just like how this film like sort of emphasis emphasizes mostly on performance it's a performance film it's a performer's movie you know what you said is like that's a common thing with movies based off plays right mm-hmm. um and i'm a sucker for those kind of films you know um i don't think i'm afraid of virginia wolf so i think i can watch the movie haha what do you think chris i have not seen this movie um i've heard a lot about it it's one of those movies that i feel like the name is so iconic like yeah, I feel like even if you're not a film person, you might have heard the like the name like, um, the title. like the name of Virginia Woolf, and um, yeah, I don't know. Um, I don't really know much about it other than what Brandon just shared, and that's about it. Yeah, I mean, like Brandon, you're you're three for three this week on uh, movies that I have heard of, but <laughs> no, but nobody's <laughs> seen your movies. I love it. But I'm pitching them well, right? Yeah, you no, are, no. I, mean, I, I, I am very sold, especially, <laughs> especially on the, your second one. But all of these, I, I, I would, I would watch. So, I, yeah, I had so many. Like, guys, I'm not gonna like because I've already revealed all mine. Here's my notes for the episode. These oh, are geez, all of really... the films. Oh yeah, you picked was, 25. Yeah, and I was like struggling because I was like, which do I choose? Like. There are some that were final stacks before, and I marked those accordingly. And then it was like, oh, I I could have gone with all that jazz, but if we just talked about it, oh yeah, and I I don't want to spoil that movie's ending, but it's so good. It's true. We gotta have a movie so. night together to watch that. Mm-hmm. Um, well, shout out some more honorable mentions after Chris talks about his last film. Chris, okay. what's your last cool. pick? Um. I usually preface my picks with a little introduction, but for this movie, I have to say it just outright. My final movie is Black Klansman. I thought this well, was so. Well, I know this 2018 might, was a <laughs> was, was a year, and that's actually kind of my <laughs> angle that I'm going at for why I'm picking this movie. I'll get into all of the all of what this movie is about in a minute, but I feel like I really need to address the elephant in the room. Um, for all my other picks, I'm ultimately okay that they didn't win, despite them being my favorites from that year. But for this movie to lose to Green Book, there's something yeah. about that that doesn't feel right to me. Um, yeah. Now, firstly, I remember at the time, I wasn't too disappointed that this movie didn't win. But as time has gone on, I've really realized like it was kind of egregious to hand the Best Picture Oscar to Green Book rather than Black Klansman in my eyes. Now, let me just say, I don't think Green Book is a bad movie. It has moments. It brings up some interesting talking points in the conversation about like racial politics in contemporary America. But when compared against Black Klansman, those two movies tackle similar themes in a way, um, but are handled very differently. 
while Green Book attempts to reconcile race relations, Black Klansman is a lot more confrontational with what it's in its, in its approach. Um, and it provides us a very honest portrait of contemporary American racial politics. Um, and it doesn't pull any of its punches at all. Um, I And the thing is, like, I, I do genuine, very genuinely think that there's room for both. Um, but for the time, for a time with all that was going on in the U.S. leading up to this film's release, I'm not sure if Green Book was the most tasteful choice for a best picture considering how much anger and like, like just like fear, anxiety, and just like just so much going on politically in the, in America. Um, and I think it, this black Klansman holds up a mirror to the U S that even for me, as someone who's not an American, it's still really unsettling and really uncomfortable, but a very important movie to depict the realities of how much hatred lives within the U S um, anyway, with that out of the way, so Black Klansman tells a story of Ron Stallworth, a black police officer, and his Jewish um, colleague, Flip Zimmerman, infiltrating, infiltrating the Ku Klux Klan. It's based on a true story, by the way. Um, this movie tells a really thrilling tale about bringing down hatred, but also explores the intricacies of black identities. And it's very moving and very thought-provoking. And on top of that, this movie's absolutely hilarious i think this movie is so fun for a movie that holds its cards so close to its chest when it comes to how serious of a topic it's tackling the movie is surprisingly lighthearted, um but balances it with the, just the right amount of seriousness that we can't help but find ourselves laughing one second and absolutely devastated or shell-shocked the next um yeah i, I like ultimately i think this movie is really fantastic it's very deeply rooted, but also a lot of fun. And frankly, yeah, it's, it is it is a big fuck you to the bigots. And I mean, I don't know about you guys. I, I mean, I would probably hope for you guys. I could probably speak for you guys, but I, I'm always down for that, you know? Um, yes, sir. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, <laughs> it's it might not be the most perfect movie ever. And I mean, no, no film is. But it's a very important film that's worth seeing. And I think it's for its time too, very timely and very important that the, this conversation be had. And I think Black Clansman is a great way to prompt that conversation. Um, yeah, there you go. Black Clansman. What do you guys think? I think, uh, I think Black Panther should have won instead. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, no, I think you hit the nail on the head, Chris. <laughs> Especially, um, in this year, uh, there were better films that year, man. Than Green Book. Yeah, yeah, yeah there was. I but I we saw Green Book together. We yeah. all had a good time. We had a good time. I had a it good, was, it's a it's a, fine, it, it's a harmless movie. fine movie. It's like, um, but it's on. Uh, l- let me finish. But it's not an Oscar movie. You're just like, yeah, that was a fun time. We had a good time watching it. it was, you know. It was nothing more. Forgot My favorite about, moment in forgot that about the, the next baby. day is the baby. Ah! <laughs> that little baby Jesus. Yeah, wait, okay. But, um, we have to, you should probably explain that. Otherwise, everyone's going to be like, what are they talking about? There's just a shot of a baby Jesus looking up and screaming out in agony. And we all thought it, we all laughed at the same time when we saw it. We all went, ah! We all like, ah! Oh, yeah, and we all, we all recreated it. We went, ah! Um, <laughs> it was good. And 
it pretty it quite much is the antithesis to Black Klansman, which is like makes it even more of a dig that it beat it at the Oscars. I think you're right, Chris. I think like it's their mo, bro. I think it was rather offensive. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> to, I mean, to Spike, nominate... yeah, Spike walked out. Yeah, and it was just it, it was a bummer. I remember Brandon yelling. I read my we Oscar our Oscars party. You went. <laughs> you yelled out to the sky <laughs> to the night sky so dramatic but it was it was justified you know um yeah it's just it just goes to show like how hollywood doesn't like taking the hard way out you know they want it to be all so soft and like you know everything but like when someone makes a film that's really powerful that really like addresses problems in our nation that like in a way that makes people feel um vigorously like emotional you know as a way to really sugarcoating a topic like green book did it's just it's it's not great that that was chosen over the other one you know and i think Mm -hmm. this is a great great pick of an oscar nominee that completely got snubbed so Brandon, what do you think? I remember liking Green Book the first time I watched it, and then the second time I watched it, I wasn't as big of a fan. Yeah. And I and also there's a lot of controversy with Viggo Mortensen and the producers like basically stealing the rights to the story without permission. And besides that, you know, it's okay. You could say it's harmless to a certain degree. Uh, but I think there were much better films nominated. I think Black Panther has aged even better than I thought it did when I first saw it. When I first saw it, I wasn't that big a fan of it. But the more time has gone on, the more I like that movie. Uh, Black Klansman's great. The Favorite was my favorite um, of that year. I almost chose it for the stacks, but I went yeah. with Ball. Yeah. And I think what's so f- what's so good about Black Klansman is how... like how affected I was watching it. I remember coming out of that movie and being like clenched fist and stuff like that and being like, wow, like I've never had like a felt like this movie is like a movie's been so powerful, like right after watching other than Catherine Bigelow's Detroit, those two films have both made me like infuriated by the end, you know? And, um, I, I, I agree. Chris is it probably should have won that year. If any of them, because of how impactful it is. I mean, there's not much else to say. I think it's a little rough around the edges in terms of its style, but I can't ignore the other aspects of this movie. Performances are great. Uh, the scripting well. <laughs> is a little on the new on the nose, but it it it's one of Spike Lee's most well-rounded films. Yeah, I, I would give him that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh man. Fuck. Did we all choose a movie we from all... like a different year? And we didn't do a double stack. No double yeah, stack. We didn't double stack. Years, yeah. All from different years. We covered a lot of bases on this episode. Not just from the like the same decades all over the map. This that's why I was so excited to do this episode. Yeah. Got yeah. some good picks here. So before we go down to get, finalizing this final stack, let's run down all our picks one more time. Starting with me. I did 2003's Lost in Translations, 1980's The Elephant Man, and 1981's Raiders of the Lost Ark. Brandon? 
I did 2011's Moneyball, 1988's Mississippi Burning, and 1966's Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf. And I did 1967's Bonnie and Clyde, 2014's Her, and 2018's Black Klansman. Boom. Okay. This is, uh, is going to be a hard one. This is going to be a hard one. Um, I shit. think... Do you guys have one from each of yours that you would like absolutely like be like you got to put this in? I feel I, like Mississippi Burning. For I feel like, yeah, I'm I'm really sold on Mississippi Burning from you because it's like it. But the only thing is, is we can't have Black Klansmen because they're both very similar in terms yeah, of like, if we're not trying to like go in, for variety. Like yeah, I would say I think Chris made a better argument of why that film was snubbed that year. You you said you you presented it to be a very good movie, you know, but Chris sort of presented his film as like why it was like why it's like insane that it was a snubbed Oscar pick. And yeah, but know, like how many people have seen Black Klansman versus seen like Mississippi Burning? I mean, if you look at 1988, I did present that it was the similar situation. It's very very, yeah, it's true. Well, especially There's with the year after. Yeah, and it's also very similar that. In 1988, Rain Man, which was, like I said, like kind of a crowd pleaser one. Over and kind of a backwards film. In terms it of kind of preceded the Green Book yeah. win, if you think about it. Oh, and right. I'm not saying 2018, but there's so much more we could use for Black Klansmen. And the way I presented the stack to begin with was either we recognize a new film. Yeah. That's big, or we no. recognize something that's better that should have won. You're 100% right, Brandon, because what I want to choose from Chris's instead is Bonnie and Clyde. If we go with Mississippi Burning, I think Bonnie and Clyde is a better way because the historical significance behind that film and how that was. In wasn't, terms of the industry, yeah. In terms of the industry of and how that didn't win Best Picture and not recognize for like a historical film in terms of Oscars, that's kind of insane. So I would go. Mississippi Burning, Brian Clyde for those two. Um, Lost in Translation. What were the other two from yours, Ethan? Elephant Man and Raiders. Okay. I think having a Lost in Translation would be great on this list. I think so, Because it's, it's something the Oscars don't usually nominate often, and I had no, no film had a chance in 2003 against Return of the King. Yeah. So it wasn't even a fair shake sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And it's not like Lost in Translation is like a well-known movie. But the more I think about it, like the more I'm like, I think a lot of people like know the title but haven't seen the movie. Yeah. yeah. And, and I feel like it brings such a... of the movie. Yeah, yeah like it me. brings... it. Yeah, like yeah. Chris. I mean, I think it brings like something special and unique to the Oscars as well. Mm-hmm. It's like it's something they don't nominate often. That's yeah. like really cool to recognize, like yeah, an I independent agree. film that's like very small scale, very gentle, yeah. very so sweet. ones, yeah, yeah, ones under recognized because I don't know why it just it wasn't the crowd. <laughs> I don't know. I I don't really like this movie. <laughs> no, no, no. I don't know why it wasn't recognized. It was great. It was great. That's what I mean. Yeah. Uh, then they've got that small indie that was underrecognized because it went up against a blockbuster behemoth, and then you've got your historical significance pick. So I like that. And pretty all around the... for me, and I think her can be used a billion. And I can live another day. Yeah, yeah. I, I just uh, we could talk so much about her that I don't want to waste it. 
Not saying yeah. we're wasting it. I'm just saying there's so much to talk about. That <laughs> yeah, there, there, there's more we can dive into here. <laughs> yeah. All right. I love it. Okay, let's get let's figure out an order here. Should we just do uh, chronological? I mean, because it's Oscars, you know, you're going through Oscar history. Not oh really a good God. way to pace sure. this. Honestly, yeah, because like I mean, Lost in Translation has be, a really killer ending too. That would be Bonnie and Clyde to um, Mississippi. To I like that. Yeah. Yeah, you like got it. your dark one in the middle. You got a sort of lighthearted one at the beginning, and then you've got a totally. Uh, it depends on how you yeah. feel. And the about ending the of Bonnie end and Clyde of leads really nicely into the seriousness that is Mississippi Burning, right? That's true. Time period. Time yeah. period. Yeah. Let's do I, it. This, this is great. All right. Like so it. let's run down Stack's official um, final stack of Oscar-nominated films that didn't win Best Picture, starting with... Chris, you want to kick us off? Yeah. Our first film is Arthur Penn's 1967 Bonnie and Clyde, a deeply moving, historic, historically significant film for the industry, um, but also a very, very um, enjoyable and just wonderful uh, movie about the counterculture era of the 1960s through uh, through the lens of the 1920s of two people in the 1920s. It's great. Watch it. Yeah, have fun with it. Bada bing, bada boom. Brandon, what's our second film? An underrated and underseen masterpiece. You've got Mississippi Burning, a terrific depiction of race relations, uh, police investigation, and the divisions between youth and old culture when it comes to these things. A really good film. Should have won Best Picture in 1988. And our last film, and our last pick, is Sofia Coppola's 2003 film, Lost in Translation, Bill Murray, Scarlett Johansson, finding themselves, their place in the world, in two different, very dramatically different points in their lives, in a very foreign city, a very foreign and melancholic, and yet it's it's got that melancholic vibrancy that just resonates with me so much in, of course, Tokyo, um, and a film that will just make you want to love, to live, to lo- <laughs> eat, pray, love, <laughs> to live, laugh, love. Uh, Lost in Translation. That's our last pick. I'm and glad Scarlett s- Johansson made this on this list. That's all. Shut the fuck Same up. Sh- shut up. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and that's our stack, everybody. That is the episode. Uh, I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, and I hope you look forward to the nominations coming out tomorrow. There's gonna be exciting, and you already know what they are. But um. <laughs> we'll see okay guys what do you think is going to be the biggest snub tomorrow i kristen stewart for spencer is a big one i think honestly spielberg for director yeah spielberg's not going to get directing i have a feeling he's not i don't think, think so? he is you don't think i think or yanis kaminsky for mm. cine which is sad because i think that's his best shot film in years but <laughs> that's true i agree, uh, I, agree. I, agree. That's I, th- I think the biggest surprise is gonna be i think drive my car is gonna either get a screenplay director or picture nom i don't think it'll get i think that's gonna get some snubs i think that's only going into foreign no i i i think you're wrong i'm I think scared it's... i'm terrified here's what I, here's my reasoning every Wait, year the direct why when should we no. well sorry is this part of it okay I was like, yeah, I thought part we of switched it. Topic. All right, go ahead. All right, fine. No. Let's cut it. Cut the episode. No, no, please. Here's my reasoning. <laughs> okay. <Sorry. laughs> I think my reasoning here is 
every year the director's branch surprises with somebody. Ever since they increased their amount, you've been like, wow, what the hell? Like when Paul Thomas Anderson got nominated for Phantom Thread or when Thomas Vinterberg got nominated for another round last year. I oh, think yeah. every year or that Paul Palkowski from Cold War like years ago. Oh, I man. think... I think there's going to be a, a surprise in the DGA list, and I think it's going to be somebody like uh, Hamaguchi. He got BAFTA. That's really good track record. Really? Yeah, like the nomination for BAFTA. And I think Spielberg's getting stubbed because of him. And I'd be totally happy with it. I would but be super I'm not happy sure. with it. That would be, that'd be such a dunk. I, I Honestly, I'd rather Belfast get snubbed, but you know, whatever. Yes, I hope Ah, please. Belf- I don't, no, I don't want any nominations for Belfast. Oh, oh bolly, go down to Belfast. <laughs> Alright, well that's going to be this episode of Stacked. Well, like, comment, subscribe, and rate us on iTunes and Spotify. And that'll be the episode for you. Get on now. Get out of here. Bye.